series, and I, uh, I'm excited about this. I, I, I think I say that for every single series I'm excited for, but it's good to be excited about the Word of God, right? Okay. Good. Kind of just shake your arms around, kind of get the juices flowing. Um, we, uh, we moved this week, by the way. My wife and I uh, and our family... Uh, we had to move out of our home and into a new home, and it all happened very rapidly. And so it was Easter, packing, move into a new house, clean the old house, and then right back into Sunday morning. So I'm going to take a great nap this afternoon, and I invite you to do the same this afternoon. But let's, uh, let's, turn, our, let's turn our attention to the Word of God this morning because I believe that God wants to speak something to us as a congregation that, you know, there's messages that I prepare as a pastor that, that I'm like, okay, Lord, this is just from your heart to our congregation. This is good. This is good meat. This is, and I, I want to be diligent in that. But then there's certain messages and series that come along that I feel like God says, this is a milestone. This is a marker message for our church. And I believe if you'll open your heart to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say through this, this series that I'll introduce in a second, um, I believe it'll give us some perspective as a church as where God is taking us, not just as a local congregation, but as the church as a whole, because we're not just even praying for Glendora Alliance Church. Uh, we recognize we're part of the body of Christ at large, the big C church uh, around the world. Um, but you can attest to this, and you know this, and I know this, is that the church isn't always perfect because it's filled with people, right? And people aren't perfect. Any perfect people here this morning? Don't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> rhetorical question. So we're starting a series this morning entitled, The Church Jesus Loves. The Church Jesus Loves. Now, I realized when I came up, uh, I didn't say came up with, when the Lord gave me the, the title for this message, I thought, you know, Lord, it sounds a little arrogant. Hey, let me tell you about the church, our church. This is the church that Jesus loves, right? But that's not the heart of it at all. It's not the heart of it at all. See, Jesus loves us, and we understand that. Pastor Abby talked about that a few minutes ago. That God's love is amazing, and he loves us unconditionally. We call that agape love. That he just bestows and lavishes his love on us as his body as his people, as his followers, as his children, and all of the different pictures and analogies he uses to describe who we are. But you know, I, I have four kids, and I love my kids. Um, they're great kids. But I'm not always pleased with my kids. <laughs> I love my kids unconditionally, but there's times where I'm going... I'm not real happy with the way you're behaving right now. I'm not really ha happy about the attitude that you have. I'm not picking on anyone in particular. <laughs> Unfortunately, only one of my kids is in service this morning. The rest of them are serving. Gavin, I love you. Um, of course, I'm talking about Blake, so it's all good, right? All right. Um, I'm not always pleased with my kids. I love my kids, but, but we use the vernacular. I love it when. I'll say to my kids, I love it when you clean your room. 
I love it when you do your chores without asking. And so the love, when I say that, you know, the church that Jesus loves, what I'm talking about is there's a, there's a preferred way that God wants his church to act and behave. And he loves it when we live that way. Amen? And so the church that Jesus loves, and you'll see there's a line there that's going to get filled in each week. And we're going to focus on different aspects of what Jesus has called his church to be. Because there's a lot of ideas. When I say the word church, there's probably a lot of different things that pop into our heads about what the church is. A lot of different ways that we can define. I want to tell you a little bit about my church experience, my church journey. I, I grew up in church. In fact, I can't remember a time where I wasn't in church that our family wasn't there. Uh, some of my earliest memories were playing under the pews uh, at this little church that our family attended. My, we would go, because we did Saturday, uh, Sunday morning church. My parents served, and there were a couple of services, so they served. We went to church. We didn't have uh, children's ministries uh, like, like we do now. And so we were in service for the whole time, and then we would go home have lunch, and then would turn right back around and go back to church. And usually Sunday night church, well, there was, no, there was no reason to end. They just kind of went and went and went, and it was great. And my sister and I, I remember us playing under the pews. I had my cars and everything, and we would be there, and we would uh, leave when my parents woke us up because eventually we would just fall asleep under the pews in church. Um, that was some of my... Uh, earliest experience, we our church uh, at that point had a big mulberry tree right on fr in front of it, and so after church, we loved climbing the mulberry tree, and my mom would yell at us, don't get mulberry stains on your, your church clothes, because of course we had church clothes, and uh, we would ride our bikes, our church had a lot of property, and we'd go uh, ride our bikes, and, and just an amazing time growing up. In fact, I'll show you a few pictures. Um, I attended a church called Hatfield Christian Church, and uh, the first building that I remember us being at was the Anderson Street building, and it's this church right here. Uh, this is in South Africa, beautiful jacaranda trees. Pretoria is called the Jacaranda City, jacaranda trees all over. Um, and it was a fairly large church. This is the church after the pews. Um, then we ended up going to this church. We had moved, uh, and this church started growing. There was a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in this church. It was a Baptist church, and our pastor did a series on the bapt uh, not on the baptism. He did a series on the Holy Spirit, and in the middle of the series, people started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it, it of course, the Baptist Convention said, you can't do that here, and so the pastor said, I can't stay because this has changed my life. And he ended up uh, planting a new church, and God just, uh, it was miraculous. In fact, our, the next picture, we moved out of that building into a tent. Uh, that was my pastor growing up, Pastor Ed Raybert. His son, Johnny, was one of my best friends. He now pastors, Johnny pastors a church in Pretoria uh, called Choose Life Church, um, and, and so we moved out of that building and into a tent because we were building a new building, and so for a number of years, uh, we met in this green tent. This was, in fact, there's a picture of the inside of the tent. Um, that's what it looked like, and, and it was phenomenal. It was absolutely amazing. It was in this tent where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, my, in fact, on the far side, there's a little flap. You go right through into another small tent, and that's where uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I don't, and that was, I was seven years old at that time. 
I grew up in church, and then our, the church finally was completed, and we moved into this building, and Hatfield Christian Church back in the 80s was about 9,000 people. They were videotaping the services and sending the tapes all over the country. That was my church upbringing. I ended up moving to the States. I was a part of different sized churches here. I've been a part of churches that are thousands of people, uh, churches that were five or six people. When we church planted, churches that meet in schools, churches that meet in, in buildings, and, and all different kinds of church. But here's one thing I want you to notice. What I've told you about is places. I've told you about a bunch of different places. And, and what so often happens when we think about church, we think about a place, about a location, See, but here's the thing, Jesus didn't, predict a pe- uh, Jesus didn't predict a place, he predicted a people. There's a quote I heard actually recently, so I'm quoting someone else. Jesus predicted a people, he didn't predict a place. Jesus predicted a people, he didn't predict a place. But our default setting is, well, where do you go to church? Well, well... The question is the wrong question. Who is your church? Who is your fellowship is the better question. See, because the word church, ecclesia, is actually translated as fellowship or gathering. There's got no, it's nothing to do with a building or a location. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And before we can have an effective conversation about the church that Jesus loves, we have to understand who the church is. Matthew 16, verse 15 through 18, says this. Or is it, let me give a little context. Here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples about uh, who who the people think Jesus is. And then he turns to them and he says, but what about you? He asked, what do you, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you uh, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's a lot of debate and controversy around the scripture, that the fact that Jesus says, you know, that... that the, the rock that God would build his church on was Peter, and, and the, the Catholic Church has a lot of its history tied to this, that Peter was the first pope, and, and there's a lot of things that go with that. But, but really what Jesus is saying here is, is this revelation that you've received about who I am is at the core of what the church is called to be. This revelation that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is central, and it's on that revelation that I will build my church. And by the way, the gates of Hades translated death. That death will not overcome what I am establishing in the church. Not your death, not my death, not I, no, no death that can happen in this world can overcome the church that Jesus is establishing. You see, Jesus predicted a people, he didn't predict a place. See, now, when I describe these buildings, I'm like, okay, there was this one building that had pews and another building that had a jacaranda tree and then one building that wasn't a building, it was a tent. 
right? And I described the characteristics of the building. And in the same way, if the church is people, guess what? There needs to be characteristics of those people. Amen? Would you agree? We describe people and say, well, tell me about that person. Oh, it's, it's that guy that, that's always telling jokes. Hey, it's that guy who's just so, so serious. There's that gal, you know, she's got the long hair, right? And we have characteristics and we describe people in, in certain ways. That God's church is designed to have certain characteristics, certain identifying marks that set us apart. See, God's people, His church, us, should live and act in a manner, in the manner He has called us to. We, His church, should act and live in the manner that He has called us to. Not what we think is the best idea. See, the church Jesus loves, the the thing we have to turn back to is say, well, what does Jesus love about His church? And then evaluate our own lives and our own expression. We see this model in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And this is really the earliest church. This is the, the first expression of the gathering of the ecclesia that we see. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, we see some special things happening here. There's teaching Right, I mean, We're submitting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We're fellowshipping. We're breaking bread. We're going to the temple and we're worshiping there. But then we're going to each other's homes and we're, we're spending time in each other's homes and, in, and we're giving to each other as there's need and, and we have this everything in common perspective. Would you say that in our culture, in our society, that people would say we have everything in common? Not at all. In fact, you, people, when asked about uh, one of the difficulty, difficulties of going to church is this, is that I walk into a place and, and there's people in there that aren't like me. And I don't feel like I measure up. It doesn't sound like what's happening here in Acts. And we've got to realize that this was the most diverse group, the most diverse bunch of people you could find. Yet they had rallied around the person of Jesus Christ and they had everything in common. They broke bread together. And it wasn't just receiving communion. They had meals. If you want to get to know people, have a meal. By the way, if you like sushi, easy sushi right here in Glendora, oh my goodness. I have found the best sushi in the world, and it's on Grand Avenue. And they have a happy hour special from 3 to 7. Go love on those people. There's two waitresses, Pam and Pam and B. And Peter. Thank you, Jesse. we got... Go love on these people, and there's Eddie, right? Hey, uh, can we, let, let's just do this. This is totally impromptu. Any, anyone love sushi? Any, any, like, okay, good. Hey, let's go love on the folks at Easy Sushi. Let's just make their head spin about who are you people, right? Because that's what we are as a church. We break bread together. Take someone to sushi after church today. 
All right. And check it out. After all of this is happening, God says, I'm going to add to their number because that's a safe place for people to be. And so God grew his church. I get multiple emails a week in my inbox telling me how I could grow my church, strategies towards church growth. Now, listen, do we want to see more people in these chairs? Absolutely. Why? Because they need to know Jesus. But I know every pastor and every congregant, every leader ever says, how can we grow our church? We're asking the wrong question. The question is this, what kind of church should we be? And then let's let God grow his church. Amen? Oh, that's good. All right. There's a study done recently by the Barna Group. In fact, it was just released on March 30th. Barna is a, a Christian research institute. They're, they're highly regarded both in the secular and, and in the uh, Christian circles and the religious circles. And they did a survey uh, and the title of this, this survey and this research that they, they put together is entitled, Just Give Me Jesus. Just Give Me Jesus. And, and the, you can look it up online. It's really good information. But, but the long and short of it is this, that people increasing, in increasing numbers are saying this, we just want Jesus, we don't want the church. I can have a relationship with Jesus but I, ha I don't really want to have anything to do with the church. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be involved in that. In fact, it can trace it all the way back to a quote that Gandhi made, Mahatma Gandhi, who said, I like your Jesus. I just don't like your Jesus followers, your Jesus. And, and interestingly, that's a quote that he kind of said, but it's been twisted a little bit. But it's one of those quotes that's used against Christians. Oh, we like Jesus. We just don't like you. We don't like the way you act. There's a problem, though, with this. See, because the Scripture describes the church as the bride of Christ. On two occasions, actually on multiple occasions, but the two primary ones in Revelation 19 and Ephesians 5, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And the, and the reason that, that, that Scripture uses the picture of the bride is because of the intimacy and closeness. The, the, the relationship between a husband and wife is the closest human relationship you can have. And it reflects most closely the relationship and the unity that exists in the Godhead, in the Trinity. And so marriage is important to God. And so when he equates the church as being of the bride of Christ, what he's saying is Jesus and the church are inseparable. They're like one flesh. You can't have one and not the other. It would be like someone saying to me, hey, Barry, I really like you. I just can't stand your wife. Hey, let's hang out. <laughs> right? Not going to happen. If you don't like my wife, you might as well not like me because we come as a package deal. Now, is my wife perfect? Absolutely. No. <laughs> No, she's not, and neither am I. And we have our flaws, and I have good days and bad days. I had a couple of really bad days this week in the midst of this move, and some things that has just been really frustrating me. And of course, I was in Tom and Deb's garage yesterday, like pouring out my heart. I'm like, ah, because there's just this person in my life right now that I'm not very pleased about, 
and they're driving me a little crazy. They don't go to the church, so it's all good. Um, it's actually not all good because God's like, what are you preaching on tomorrow? What are you preaching on tomorrow? And I'm like, come on. <laughs> but we have hard days, and so I had a kind of, a, not kind of, I had a really bad attitude. I had a really bad attitude, and I'm going, Lord, this is hard. My wife has bad days. You have bad days, right? Tell the person next to you, I have ba bad days. Just let's keep it real. <laughs> all right. But even with all of the flaws that we have, she's my wife. She's my bride. We're one flesh. I adore her. She's my favorite person on the planet. And I want to be with her. And after 20 years of marriage, I'm not tired of her. I want to be with her more. I miss her when she's not around. I'm even looking around the room right now, and I'm not seeing her. I'm just taking care of things outside. And I'm like, oh, my wife's not here. Because I just have that relationship with her that I just love her. Jesus takes that and then elevates it even more. That's how he feels about his church. So when someone says, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church, it doesn't work. Now, I get what people are saying, and if you read the research and you read the study, what they're saying is, I got hurt in the church. And, and, and they're, they, I saw you know, hypocrites in the church. And just If you're a hypocrite, raise your hand. Just everyone raise your hand, right? <laughs> because we, we set this expectation. Why? Because we go to a place and expect the people to be perfect and say, no, no, we're an imperfect people serving a perfect Savior. And he's perfecting us, and we're in process. So the question is this. How do we recapture the look Jesus wants us to have? How do we become the church, the gathering, the people that Jesus loves? Because I know there are days when Jesus is looking at me going, no. You're, you're not representing me well today, Barry. You're, you're, not, you're not being a good example of who I've called you to be, who I've called my body to be. You can do better than that. And it's not a condemning. It's a loving encouragement. In fact, the Bible says that those who God loves, He corrects. If God ever stops correcting you, you're in trouble. All right? We need that correction from the Lord. So today, here's what I want to talk about. So that was all introduction for the whole series. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to focus on today is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. The church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. The church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. John is writing the revelation given to him by the Holy Spirit. And, and he writes in the book of Revelation, he addresses the seven churches. To the seven churches, write these things. And the very first church that he addresses the church in Ephesus. And he writes this about this church. I know, starting verse 2. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds good at that point, right? Man, you guys are hitting it out of the park. You're standing strong. You read the book of Ephesians. Man, there were some things they were standing up against. It was not an easy context, an easy place to minister. You guys are doing good, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. See, the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. And as Pastor Abby said earlier, Jesus' love is unconditional. It's agape love. It never stops flowing from his heart to us. It never dries up. Paul addresses this in, in 1 Corinthians when he says, listen, you can have tongues of men and angels, you can do signs and wonders, you can prophesy, you can, you can do all of these things, and if you don't have love, it's nothing, it's empty. You can, you can discern, you can persevere, you can, you, can, you can pick out the people who are wicked and say, listen, we don't want anything to do with that. You can do all of these things. You can per persevere through hardship. Make sure you don't grow weary, but if you don't have love, it's a problem. It's an absolute problem for the church. And so the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. And he does, we do that in two ways. The first is this. We love God like Jesus does. We love God like Jesus does. And initially in my notes I'd written, we love God like Jesus did. <laughs> I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. No, no, Jesus still loves God. He's, he's there. He's, he's in heaven with the Father. And he's still loving the Father. Jesus had an absolute love relationship with the Father. Always has. Unity, oneness, intimacy, this closeness between the Father and the Son. We need to love God like Jesus loves God. We need to put Him at the center of our lives, at the center of our reality. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is the Shema. It's a statement that, that God declares over His people. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's united. He's together. There's absolute beauty, beauty and relationship in the Trinity. And then He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We call this the greatest commandment. Love God. Love God. Jesus echoes the same verse in the same passage later in Luke chapter 10 when he's dealing with a young man who comes to him and says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, well, you need to keep the law. You need to do all of these things. Check all the boxes. And he says, you know, I've done all of these things. And he goes, well, what's the greatest commandment? And, and he responds... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gave the correct answer. Here's this young man, eager. He comes running to Jesus. What do I need to do? And Jesus tells him, I mean, doesn't even tell him, ask him, you tell me what you're supposed to do. And so he tells him, he answers the question, and he gets this right. Love God. Now, the story goes on that Jesus says, one thing you lack, 
Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that he went away sad. He went away sad because he wasn't willing to give up the stuff in his life to follow Jesus. But this part, the Shema, love God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving God means putting him at the center of your life, at the absolute center of your life, that he doesn't become a peripheral uh, item or in your peripheral vision. I'm going through my life, and sometimes I I go to church, and I kind of do this Christian thing. It doesn't work that way. In order to be the church that Jesus loves, we have to put God at the absolute center of everything we do, which is why he talks about the heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love God with all of your heart, your emotions, your desires, and your affections. That we would love God with with that part of us that feels, that wants, that part of us that gets us into trouble a lot. Right? The part of us that's impulsive. The part of us that just wants what it wants. I mean, that's the thing, right? People say that. You just want what you want. Right? Except if you're in a love relationship with God. Because if you love God, you're going to say, God, what do you want? What do you desire? When the psalmist writes that God will give you all the desires of your heart. Man, I hear people say, God will give you the desires of your heart. Like a blank check. The verse before it says, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? Put him at the center of your life. Be absolutely madly in love with God and put him at the center of your life. Then he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your desires will be aligned with his desires. Your wants will be aligned with his wants. And you might find yourself desiring and wanting things you've never wanted before. But it'll be good. He says, love God with your soul. Your uniqueness, who you are. You have a soul. And it is a unique soul to you. It is the soul that God has given you. It is your being. God says, I want you to love me with just just that, that internal part of who you are. That part that no one sees. We see evidence of your soul. But you know you. You know what's on the inside. And God says, I want you to love me me with that part. Because it's easy to put on the show. It's easy to show up at a place and show people what you want them to see. And then leave and go live your life however you want to live your life. And God says, no, 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 no. Love me with your soul. Love me with the the private parts of who you are, the uniqueness, the innermost being. He says, love me with all your strength, your drive, your will. This week, I don't know what got in me, but I was ready to move, and I moved. We picked up our keys. We, got, we moved into this new rental. on. Thir- we were supposed to move in on Thursday, and we were going to focus on moving on, on Thursday evening and then Friday and then kind of finish up on Saturday. We picked up keys on Wednesday afternoon. And by Wednesday night, most of the big furniture had been moved. And we were completely out of our old house by Thursday afternoon. 
And I was just like, I was, I was a man on a mission. I had this drive, and there was a lot of coffee involved, and, and I was just ready to go. My wife was looking at me, Megan's going, who are you? Some of you all came out and helped out. Thank you for the, those of you who were able to come out. And I, we had people reaching out to us on Facebook saying, hey, we can come help out on, on, on Friday or on Saturday. And we're like, thanks, but it's done. And there was just this drive inside of me, and I was like, oh, this, is, this feels good. We have a drive to certain things. There's times where our will, where, where, where that just drive rises up inside of us, and we want to go after something. God says, bring that under my authority. Submit that to me. Love me with your drive, with your will, with the passion of your life. Because we can get in trouble really quickly. Because when my drive and my will and my passion just want what they want, and we go back to the heart, it will drive me right off of a cliff. God says, no, love me with your drive, even with that motivation, with that, that, that will that you have. And then he says, love me with all your mind, with your intellect, with your thoughts, how you think about people and how you think about the world, the things that you meditate on, are they under the authority of God? Do you love God with the, the, the thoughts that run through your mind? Are they loving towards Him? Most of the Psalms were written in response to that question. Am I loving God with my, my thoughts? You, you read about David's innermost thoughts that he puts on, on paper in the, in the form of a psalm. And you realize it wasn't always good. There's some stuff that he writes down. You're like, this guy was in serious turmoil. But it always ends with, but God, you are good, and I love you, and you're faithful. You know my anxious thoughts, which we read this week, if you're doing the, the solid life journaling. I encourage you to do that. See, Jesus had a love relationship with the Father. He spent time with his Father. His desire was to do the will of the Father, and he, on, he only did the things that God told him to do. And you only do that if you love someone. If I don't love you, I don't care what you say. Am I right? If I don't love you, unless you're giving me a big paycheck, <laughs> if I don't love you, I'm not going to listen to you. But if I love you, if I really love you, when you speak, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And I'm going to respond. Jesus lived his life that way. He spent time with the Father. He focused on his relationship with the Father. He was close to the Father. His desire was to do his Father's will. He was absolutely, totally, madly in love with his Father. That agape love. So the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus by loving God like Jesus does. And then the church Jesus loves, loves like him by loving people like he does. He loves people. God loves people. Just say it out loud with me. God loves people. Wanna try that again? All right. One on three. One, two, three. God loves people. He better because that you're included in that. That's good news. That's what we talked about last Sunday. The Father expresses his love for us in this that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Matthew 22, 35 through 40, again, Jesus refers to Deuteronomy 
man comes to him, an expert, expert, expert in the law, and he tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So we just talked about that. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that mean? It means this. If we would commit ourselves to loving God and loving people, we wouldn't need the law and the prophets. If we would truly love God and love people the way He intended to us, we wouldn't need the law and the prophets. You might be thinking, well, what do you mean by the law? I, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Well, yes, we're a New Testament church. But the law was given, as Paul says, if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know that there was transgression. And so it helps us to see our sin because we were stuck in our sin. You don't know what you don't know. We were ignorant. We're born ignorantly into sin. And so the law did this. It told you what to do and not what to do. If you read Leviticus, it's all about the law that God gives to his children. He says, listen, you don't know what's right and wrong, so I'm going to unpack it for you. And here it is. And here's the rules for living. We have, in the midst of that, we have the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard of those, right? The Ten Commandments, which, by the way, the first three of the Ten Commandments have to do with loving God. And they're the ones that have the most content to them. Actually, the first four. It's, right? No other gods before me. Right? What's the next one? No false idols. Thank you. Keep, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain and keep the Sabbath day. All four of those were about loving God, about carving out time and making sure that you spend time with God. That was the law. Told you what to do and what not to do. The prophets came along later because once people started going off and doing what they weren't supposed to do, the prophets were like signposts. There were the people who were telling people what to do to get back to where they needed to be. The prophets were the ones saying, you're in error, you're walking in the wrong way, you're not loving God, get back to where you need to be. You're not treating people well, get back to, when you read the, 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 the major and the minor prophets in the Old Testament, you realize they weren't popular at all because they were the ones that were pointing out all the faults, and who likes to have all their faults pointed out? See, the law and the prophets hinge on whether or not we love God and love people. And Jesus makes this statement to the expert in the law who's trying to catch him out. He's trying to back him into a corner and he says, well, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love people. And if you get these right, we don't need the law and the prophets. Because if we would commit ourselves to loving God and then loving people the way that God loves people, we would not live in the broken world that we live in. We would not face the issues that we face. We would not be dealing with, with the stuff that we deal with. So it really comes down to this. We live in a broken world because we've forgotten how to love. We've forgotten how to love. And even make it more personal, some of the challenges that we experience in the church today really boil down to one thing. 
We don't really love people. We don't really love the people around us. We're not committed to loving them the way that Jesus did. How do we know that Jesus loves people? Well, he died on a cross for them and for you. He sacrificed his own life. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that prayer, Father, if this cup can pass from me, please, I'd rather not do this, but not my will, your will be done. Lord, I love you. Father, I love you that I will do even this difficult, painful thing because I want to express your love to the people that, that you care about. And then we get offended and we get hurt and we get frustrated with people and we choose not to love and we choose to walk in a way that's harsh. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a new command I give you, Jesus writing or saying this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So back to the book of Acts. God says that he was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Because I imagine it looked something like this. Hey Bob, what's going on in your life? Because I've noticed a difference. You're not the same person anymore. Hey, I've got to tell you, I, I met Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, he's that guy they crucified and he came back to life. And you remember there was that whole incident with those people in the upper room and there was that big crowd that gathered. Well, yeah, I, I remember that. Well, I met some of those followers and, and I decided to become a part of what's going on. And I gave my life to Jesus. And now I'm spending all of this time with these people. In fact, that's why I haven't been able to hang out with you as much. I've been, I've been going and I'm learning and I'm, I'm, I'm taking in all of this. In fact, you should come with me and come be a part of this. Man, I, I really see the difference in your life. Yeah, I'll, I'll come check it out. And God added daily to their number those who were being saved. Why? Because they had the favor of some of the people. They had the favor of some of the people that agreed with their viewpoints. They had the favor of the people that agreed with their political ideologies. Come on. They had the favor of all the people. Why? Because they were so committed to love. They were so committed to loving God and loving people that God said, I can just bring the people that I need to get loved on. See, we become the greatest expression of God's love in the world. And so when we start thinking that church is a place and not a people, our community misses out. The world around us misses out. See, we have these invite cards to invite friends to church. And, and, and I'd love for you to invite friends to church. But I'd love for you to invite friends in, or the people around you into a relationship first. Would you introduce them to Jesus through your life? Through the way that you love them and you love each other? The world will know you're my, my disciples the way that we love each other. If we can't do this here, we might as well pack it up and go home. Well, we'll do that a little bit later, but I mean in the bigger sense. We might as well just stop if we can't love each other in this place. Because this should be easy for us. 
Why are Thrive Groups so important for us? Because we break bread in each other's homes and we actually get to know people. How many of you, I want, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know, I've heard the stories. Man, I've seen that person on Sunday morning, but it was at a Thrive Group or when I went to their house for dinner and we got to sit and chat and we realized we have all of this in common. We had friends of ours over last night from uh, Orange County. They lived in the same neighborhood we did. We went to the same church. We were really good friends with this one couple and really good friends with another couple. Both couples of families have come and visited our church. In fact, Felicia is one of those. She's going with us to Kenya in 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 a few weeks here. Um, And we discovered last night that they've been hanging out. They've known each other for years at arm's length, but they just finally connected and they realized, hey, we have a lot in common and they've been hanging out. It's taken forever. Our lives get busy, but church, this is what happens. We see people and we do things like this. I'd like to get to know that person better. And a year later, we're saying, I'd like to get to know that person better. So when I say, or Jesse in a little while, she's going to encourage you to take someone to lunch at the end of the service, do it. Take time. Go to a Thrive group and be in relationship and start learning to love each other. Why? Because then the church will see it and go, what is it about you? But it has to be cultivated. Final thought on this. God hasn't called us to tolerate people. He's called us to love them. God doesn't tolerate you. And tolerate is one of those buzzwords in the world around us that I just despise. I don't want to be a tolerant person. I want to be a loving person. I would rather be loved than tolerated. Let's do the same. Let's love people. We have a list of values for our church. You can see them on our church website. The first two... God first, and people matter. God first, and people matter. See, it doesn't matter what the rest of the values are. If those aren't in place, then nothing else we do counts for anything. So church, let's be the church. Let's be the church in our community. Let's be the church in our workplace. Let's be the church in our neighborhood. Let's be the church on the sports field. Let's be the church everywhere we go and display and model the love of Jesus in such a way that the world around us goes, what is it about you? I want what you have. Let's stand together. I invite the worship team to come up. So let me ask you this question. What do you do with this now? What's simple You need to go and you need to ask God how you're doing in your love relationship with him. How much is he at the center of your life? I realized this week in my dealings with a certain person that I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. See, because I was walking in fear, which led me to anger, which leads to the dark side. No, I'm just kidding. Seeing me paying attention. But there is truth that when I am walking in fear, I'm not walking in trust. I don't trust that God loves me 
And so I have to revert, revert to fear. And fear doesn't do good things in our lives. Are you seeing yourself being angry on edge, living in anxiety? Revisit your love relationship with the Father and be reminded not just that you need to love Him. It says that the only reason we can love God is because He loved us first. So evaluate, how am I doing in my love relationship with my Father? And then I imagine that as I talked about loving people, you probably have a good idea of how well you're doing or not. So set a plan in place to start doing this better, to love people better, to model that love of Jesus in people's lives more. Maybe pick one person this week. Pick one person that you can target and say, I'm going to choose to love that person as hard as it is. I'm going to show an expression of love. Lord, help me. Ask for strength. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will empower us to do this. So you're not on your own. And let's see this church, our church, the church, become the church that Jesus loves as we love like he does. Father God, this morning, I'm thankful for your love. Thank you that we can love you because you love us. And that we are on the receiving end of ridiculous love. Agape love, unending love. It never dries up. Because of that, we can love you back. But, but not just that, we can love people. And so, Lord, help us to be the church, to be your bride. Lord, I pray that we would have encounters with those people this week who would say, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. That this week, they would rethink that statement because of this body of believers. Because of the interactions they have with these Christ followers and go, wait a minute, if if you're a Christian, if you're a part of the church, I might have to rethink it. Open those doors, I pray. Help us to do the work we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer... Our prayer team is available at the back. If you need prayer for absolutely anything, we'd love to agree with you in prayer this morning. Let's close in worship together.